Buenos dias and good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm the pastor here. And it's just so beautiful to sing uh, these songs of old, these songs maybe some of us grew up with, or maybe this was your first time hearing these songs, but it's just so beautiful in my heart. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue in this series that we've been in that we started last week, uh, and it's called Re-Envision. And so we're in this book called Ezra, and in this book of Ezra, what we see and the entire narrative is that it's all focused on the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple of God where people congregated, they made sacrifices, and they were able to come in as one Israel to worship the Lord, and, and this is where it all happened. And if you think about the book of Ezra, you can put it this way. The people of God, the people of Israel had to re-envision the mission. That to re-envision the mission of their life, the mission of, of their people, the mission of who they were. And I think that's really good for us to kind of contemplate this morning of saying, Lord, maybe I'm in this moment where I have to rethink and re-envision uh, my life and maybe our church and maybe my worship to you. Because I think one thing we'll find out in the book of Ezra is, is we're going to know more about God, more about God's people, and more about where they went. And I think this will help us uh, this morning. And so I want to go ahead and just have you guys turn to uh, Ezra chapter 3. And uh, you're totally okay and welcome to use the table of contents. I know we don't turn to the book of Ezra a whole lot sometimes. You're welcome to do that. And as you're turning to the book of Ezra, especially chapter 3, I want to give you a quick little recap. I'm not going to go into all the background and context like I did last time, but I do want to set the stage for us just one more time. So you have the people of Israel that were in Jerusalem, and they rebelled against God. And so because of that, the consequence of their sin was that this kingdom called Babylon conquered them. And so they conquered them in this area, and then at one point, they moved them to another area. So now they were conquered people away from Jerusalem. So they were there for 70 years and after 70 years, this other king comes and overthrows and conquers this kingdom of Babylon. And now it's this kingdom of Persia that is in control of this area and now Jerusalem or Jerusalem and the people of God. And so then what happens is that God moves and stirs in the heart of King Cyrus, who's the king of Persia, and allows uh, the people of God to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to their homeland. And then not only that, but he restores all of their treasures and their riches to them. And there is this tension, you could say, that happens where you could almost think the people of Israel might have been able to look at King Cyrus and say, man, he's our hero. But what happened is that they understood that King Cyrus was not the hero of the story, that God was that God was the one who moved in the heart of King Cyrus. And so as we look at this whole thing, as we look at the entire chapter of Ezra chapter three, I want you to get this textual idea. So this textual idea is this, that as Israel settles into Jerusalem, they recognize God's faithfulness at every single stage. And if you're taking notes this morning, here's the big sermon idea I want you to write down. Praise him through the process. Praise him through the process. Praise God through the process. There's a process I want to highlight just this moment to illustrate what I mean. And there's this process in the life of every believer called sanctification. And sanctification is this big theology word that we use. And theology is the study of God. 
Sanctification is this word that just articulates how God is, is through the Holy Spirit making us more like Jesus, guiding us and, and making us more holy and more like him. That's this word, sanctification. And so this morning, I want to celebrate what God is doing in two individuals, and I just want them to stand up here with me so you can see their faces. So if I could have Isaias and Audrey, if you could come up here real quick, I want people to see your handsome faces. Yeah, come here, come on. Yeah, there you go, Beautiful. You can stand up here in the spotlight with me. So in case you don't know, these two gentlemen are actually my brothers, and it's so incredible. And I, I just want you to look at their faces really good, because last year, uh, they had a conversation with their parents, had a conversation with me, and they were saying, Messiah, like, we want to get baptized because we understand that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we need him, and we just need to be baptized. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And so last year, I was able to baptize them, and so I just want to celebrate that this morning together. If we could just do that. Amen. And right now, the Lord is working in their life in this process of sanctification to make them more like Jesus. And so I just wanted to celebrate that together uh, so you, can, you guys can sit down. Thank you so much. You guys are so handsome this morning. I love it. I love it. guess it runs in the family. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Katie and Katie. But anyway, I want to just celebrate what God is doing because this whole thing of praising him through the process is so vital. Because maybe you're, this morning you're, you're sitting here and you're like me saying, I'm going through this process, this situation. And I hope you are encouraged that we can praise the Lord through every single stage. And so we're not, usually what we do is uh, we stand up together and we read the entire thing together. Uh, but today, uh, this morning, I just want to read just chunk by chunk. So I want to go ahead and just start reading in verse 1. And we're going to go all the way to verse 3 and we're going to stop there. So starting in verse 1, it says this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles uh, with a required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they sacrificed... Um, or they presented the regular burnt offerings, the moon offering sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid." And so as we look at this, something that we can use just to summarize this whole section is this, is that God's people celebrate. God's people celebrate. And that's just what we did this morning celebrating them. But we see that Israel was kind of throwing a party. Like they were just celebrating this whole time. And so after that, they've, they've been there for six months and they were settling in their moment in their town the first thing that they do, and you could even look at it as the most important thing that they did, was to build the altar of the Lord. The altar was like the heart of the temple, the place in which people would go and make sacrifices to the Lord to celebrate him, to ask for forgiveness, and to do this thing called atone for their sins. 
Again, this word atone is another big fancy theology word that we use that describes being paid for or being forgiven. And so they would be there so their, their, their sins could be paid for by another. And so I wanna show you a picture of what this altar looks like. And, it, and it's a little sketch, so I, I know uh, it's not the complete picture, but I want you to just take a good look at it and I wanna leave it up there uh, for just a while. And so as we look at this picture of the altar, there's so much symbolism and significance and all the detail of the altar and also what's happening. You see, you might be asking, Messiah, why did Israel have to make these sacrifices? Why did they have to do that? Well, you see, it actually goes back all the way to the very beginning to the first humans as Adam and Eve. And what they did is that they disobeyed God, they sinned against God, and so what God had to do is that he had to sacrifice an animal to cover for their sins, to cover them physically. You see, because sin comes with a price, and then that price is death. And that price needs to be paid for. And so God was the first one who made a sacrifice for humanity. And now he's asking Israel and has commanded Israel to make sacrifices for their sin. Because something that they would do is that they'd put the animal there like you see. And before doing the burnt offering part, they'd actually put their hand on the head as a symbolism that their sin was being transferred to the pure and perfect animal. To where then when the animal was, was sacrificed and then burned, it was like this pleasing aroma of justice to the Lord because the Lord has this wrath against sin. And so it was this moment that the, uh, the animal represented that they was taking the place of humanity. And here's what's interesting. These sacrifices were, were continuous because our sin is continuous and the debt is an ever-increasing debt. I want you to write that down, that our sin is a ever-increasing debt, and, and here's why. Would it, have, it would have been so nice and so simple, honestly, if you think about it. If humanity would have just sinned once, and we only had to pay for that one debt. <laughs> but after sinning that one time, we got a taste of it, and we're like, oh, this, this is kind of nice. And so we kept on sinning and sinning and sinning and creating more and more debt. So it's this everlasting debt but you see, animal sacrifices are, were never enough. They had to be done all the time. And so you might be asking me, why don't we do animal sacrifices right now? Well, that's because of Jesus. Animal sacrifices were never enough, but Jesus was enough. Jesus came as the perfect one who lived, the perfect one who died on the cross for us. His body was broken, his blood was shed to cover us, to give us grace, to say, yeah, I will pay for you. This ever-increasing debt really is an eternal debt. And only me, Jesus, being fully human and being fully eternal God can pay for that for you. I am the only one that can satisfy the wrath of God. And then you have this beautiful transaction again where he who had no sin became sin for us and then he extends grace to all of humanity. Yeah, this beautiful transaction that happens and this beautiful transaction happens because sin is, is serious. It's a serious thing in our life. It's a serious thing that has infected all of humanity and we need Jesus to transform us from the inside out. And so we can celebrate the Lord in, in all of what he has done. And I want you to look at verse three with me. Verse three says this, despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation. So despite the fear of the people around them. So there is, so Jerusalem or, or Israel is coming back to Jerusalem 
and you have this moment where they haven't been there for 70 years, so maybe they're coming to a dangerous area. And so there's enemies probably around them who are not liking that they're coming back to their hometown. And so they're coming in this dangerous area and they're fearful, but their fear doesn't stop them. Their fear doesn't stop them from praising the Lord. Their fear doesn't stop them from celebrating that God had rescued them from captivity. Their fear doesn't stop them at all. They're like, yeah, it's dangerous, but we're gonna keep going. And I think that their fear didn't stop them because they saw the miracle of God and what he did in King Cyrus of saying, yeah, I'm gonna let you guys go and I'm gonna give you everything back that is given to you. And so it's this incredible moment of despite the fear, despite the danger, despite all these things, they continued to praise the Lord as one Israel coming together. And so you see that after they built this whole altar and they're praising the Lord, it talks about all of these festivals. And what I want you to just realize is that all these festivals like combined together is probably like a month long celebration and party. And so I just wanna highlight some of these festivals for you because they're just different and I get it. Sometimes we read these and we just don't really care to look up what do these mean. And so I just want to highlight some of these for you. So the Festival of Tabernacles. Okay, this Festival of Tabernacles is like a week-long festival commemorating how Israel, back, back in Exodus, traveled 40 years in this long journey in the wilderness. So it's thanking the Lord for that. The, the festival and the sacrifices for morning and for evening are kind of just like the normal and continual sacrifices that Israel did to signify this prayer and this praise to the Lord in the morning and in the evening. And so then you have the new moon sacrifices. So again, you have to remember this is the beginning of the seventh month. And so the new moon sacrifices, what actually happens is that every single time that a new month starts, Israel would uh, do this sacrifice to signify that they're glorifying the Lord and thanking him for a new month that they have. And so they're celebrating all of these things. And, and think about it. The temple's not even built yet. It's just the altar and they're celebrating the Lord. Like they are not waiting for the temple to be glorious and grand and big. They're not waiting for the temple to be finished, this product to be finished. They're not waiting to be done. They're saying, I'm gonna praise the Lord through the process. So step number one is the altar. We're gonna praise the Lord. Step number one, it's doing this thing. Man, I'm gonna praise the Lord. Even if it's not perfectly safe, I'm gonna praise him right here despite the fear of uh, what's going on around us. And so what's the application here for us? You might be saying, okay, Misa, that, that's some cool stuff about the Bible, but what does that mean for my life? Well, here's what it means. It means that we must praise God in the beginning. Praise God in the beginning. So I don't know what process you might be in. And I don't know what process you might be in the beginning of. You know, school just started, so maybe you're in the beginning process of starting school the beginning process of starting college, the beginning process of a new job, the beginning process of finding a home, maybe the beginning process of suffering, maybe the beginning process of trying to find the Lord's will in your life, maybe the beginning process of growing your grass or planting a plant, the beginning process of, of maybe a, a, a baby that is growing inside of you or just the beginning process of life in general. You see, all of these moments that we feel like we're in the beginning process of something, we should praise the Lord. We shouldn't wait until the very end of saying, I'm not, I'm not gonna praise the Lord until I have my dream job. I'm not gonna praise the Lord until you know, I, I have, uh, I've graduated. I'm, I'm gonna praise the Lord, or I'm not gonna praise the Lord until I've got that final grade. 
No, 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 no. We should be a people who praise God in the beginning of saying, God, thank you. Thank you that I, I have this brain that I could study. God, thank you that I'm able to go to a school. God, I, I praise you that I have people in my life that are pouring into me and are showing me, okay, this is maybe the direction that God has for you. Lord, I praise you that I have this, this moment where I can maybe go to different job interviews. God, I praise you. And, and maybe we need a moment as, as human beings that we're in our car or in our house or we're just by ourselves and we're singing praises to the Lord and saying, God, you are great, you are mighty, you're incredible. Because I'm convinced that just right here in the book of Ezra, the Lord is telling us that we should praise him from the very beginning. And this, this just reminds me of maybe even our church right now. Right now, I, I just feel like we're at the beginning of a process and the thing is, is that there might be some of us that are like, man, I just can't wait for God to have like a thousand people here. And I'm like, yes, let's keep praying for that. But in all honesty, let's, let's be the people that praise God that we're here. Let's praise God that he's doing a work in people's lives. Let's praise God through the process of discipling someone, evangelizing to people. Let's praise God for the vision that he's given us. So let's be a people who praise God even from the beginning. So that's what we see in verses one to six. And then I want to point our attention to verses seven to nine. So I'm gonna read that for us, seven to nine. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodivia and the sons of Hinnadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. So here what I want us to notice is this, that God's people contribute. God's people contribute. So not only do God's people celebrate, but God's people contribute. And here we have a list of just how different people were contributing to the work of the Lord, contributing to the ministry in different ways. And so you have people who were contributing their money, contributing their money to the people that would be using their hands to build the temple, to build the things. You have people who are giving of their talents and abilities, the ones that are one putting the hammer to the nail. You have other people who are using uh, maybe the food that they have, the drinks that they have, the oil that they have as a moment to trade all of that for the cedar wood that they would give. And so here's just like a really quick fun fact. Uh, when they built the first temple, so right now the temple's destroyed and they're building it, but the first temple, uh, the one that Solomon built, they also used cedar wood and from the same place, Joppa. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's a little fun fact. So they're trying to do things the same way possibly as Solomon's temple. And so, so then you have other people, the Levites, who are contributing their time, contributing their time to oversee everything that was happening uh, in, 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 the, in resurrecting this temple. 
So you have all of these people who are just contributing and, and honestly, they're giving so generously, generously to the space and the place in which they would come together as one Jerusalem to make sacrifices, to glorify the Lord, to do the work of the ministry. And as I think about that and as we think about that, I wanna point your attention one more time to chapters one and two of Ezra. So think about chapters one and two of Ezra of how God moved in the life of King Cyrus. And it was, King, and it was through King Cyrus that God moved and through the people in which God moved to restore their riches, restore their treasures. And then the people of God provided again. So God was providing through his people. So I want you to think about this. We can say that God's people contribute because God contributed first. God's people give because God gave first. And then here's a reality about life that has just blown me away. Did you, did you know this? Did you know that you can never outgive God? You can never outgive God. I mean, think about everything that God has given us. He's given us the breath in our lungs. He's given us the minds to think. He's given us all of these blessings in life. He's given us, I mean, God the Father gave his one and only son, Jesus, for us. God has been the first to give all things. He's the giver of all of our time, the giver of our possessions, the giver of our money. And that brings me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. If you want to write that down. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18 says this. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. That whole concept of that, of that you can never outgive God is just so beautiful to me because that allows us to say, Lord, I'm gonna give what you have given me. And so that's actually the application for us. You see, we can praise God in the beginning but I also think we can praise God with our giving. Praising God with our giving, that's actually your application point if you wanna write that down. Praise God with giving. You see, God is the provider and the giver of all good things. And all that we have is, is because of him. And when we realize that, I, I think it helps us mature in the way that we give and helps us mature that we are stewards that we are to be these caretakers of what God has given us. And we have this beautiful ability to praise God, to praise the Lord in how we give. Uh, because I think God blesses that. And I'm not here this morning to tell you, hey, if you give $1, God will give you two. And if you give God one hour, he'll amount two hours to your life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that every believer knows that Jesus gave his own life for us that Jesus gave even his very last breath for us and, and God blessed that. And so because we are followers of Jesus, because we are disciples of Jesus, are we not to be marked with generosity? If God is the first one who gave, if God is the one who gave so generously, are we not supposed to strive and be marked by generosity ourselves? You see, again, I'll use our church as an example uh, because there's some things about our church I didn't know until a couple months ago, and so I just wanna share it with you. Our church, we strive to be an example to our congregation. As staff members, we strive to be an example of what it looks like to give generously, to, to live wisely, uh, to be uh, people who also live appropriately. 
And so some really cool nuances about our church is um, our church, we want to um, set the example of what it's like to save. And so one thing that we do, all the things that you, all the uh, finances that you guys give to the church, we actually save a portion of that for rainy days, and which actually helped out a lot when COVID hit. And then another thing about our church is that we give generously. We give generously here in Tulsa. We give generously over there in the United States. And then we give generously everywhere when it comes to the whole world. We support so many missionaries, so many, so many ministries, and we go so many places. Uh, because here's the reality about how giving financially to a church works. You're not just giving to a church. You give through the church. You do ministry through the church where, where together we get to collect the things that God has blessed us with to do ministry here, there, and everywhere. And so we don't just give to a church, we give through the church. And then the last thing that I thought was just incredible uh, of how our church tries to set the example is that we do try to live responsibly. responsibly. And the way we do that is that anytime we try to remodel something or anytime we try to do like this building project, we don't take out a loan. We try to pay it all in cash. And so we try to trust the Lord and say, Lord, you're gonna raise up the money and we're gonna make this thing happen to build. We're gonna make this thing happen in your timing and not in our timing. Because we understand that financial tension is probably the most common tension in relationships, honestly. And not just the most common, but maybe one of the most devastating tensions in a relationship. And so because of that, we want to be a church and, and a people who are the example of what it looks like to give generously, to live wisely and save wisely and live appropriately. And uh, we do that as we praise the Lord in the process, right? Because you might be in a process right now where you're like, Misael, I'm, I'm trying to get out of bad debt. Misael, I'm trying to get out of this bad situation. Misael, I'm, I'm trying to maybe learn what it looks like to do a budget. He said, maybe I'm trying to learn what it looks like to give more generously of my time and my resources. And you see, we, want, we have this goal in mind. We are so goal-oriented. But I want to just encourage you, praise the Lord in the process. Say, Lord, thank you. God, thank you that I can give at least this much. Lord, help me give this much. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for just what you've given me. I want to use all of who I am and all of what you've given to me to praise you. And so there are these moments where, yes, maybe we have a goal in mind and we're praying for that, but, but don't forget to celebrate and, and praise the Lord for what you're doing right now and for what he's allowing you to do right now. These are these moments that we have to remember. And so we've seen uh, that God's people celebrate. We've seen that God's people contribute. And so here's the last thing I want us to see, is that God's people construct. God's people construct. And I, and I see this in verses 10 to 13. So I want to read this with you. Starting in verse 10, it says this. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments, and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former, former temple wept aloud 
when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. You see, God's people construct. Uh, we had seen this moment where they had built the altar. We'd seen this moment where uh, people were being appointed different assignments and giving in different ways. And then you see that the, the, the temple foundation itself was being laid. And so you have these people who maybe contributed uh, of their time and their resources to the construction of the table. They had this responsibility of giving. And then you have others who are just responsible for putting, man, the hands to work to actually lay the foundation. And in a sense, you could say that every single person in Israel had a responsibility in what it looked like to build the temple. And again, I want to remind you of these three stages that Israel was in. And in each stage, they praised the Lord. They praised him when they got there, they built the altar. They praised him and how they gave. They praised him and, and how they said, okay, you do this, you do this, I'm gonna do this. And then here, before any structure is built on the foundation, they praise the Lord for the foundation of the temple. You see, nothing stopped them from praising the Lord. They were gonna do it. And, and what's striking to me What's striking to me is just how Israel did do this right. Because so many times we, we learn what not to do with Israel. We learn what not to say. But it's striking to me that I think this time we get to learn something of how to do something because of Israel. And I think what we get to see is this whole aspect of praising the Lord through every moment. Because how many of us forget to praise the Lord because he answered one prayer because we want God to answer ten? How many of us forget to praise the Lord for one person who gave their life to Christ, one person who had been transformed by Jesus because we wanna see 100? You see, I think we need to be a people who don't forget to praise the Lord for the one because the Lord blesses that. And then we have to be a people who learn to live how to continuously praise the Lord because if not, we're gonna be like those in verse 12. Look at verse 12 once again with me. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the formal temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. You see, there is, there is two crowds in this moment. You had the older crowd that, again, there'd been 70 years since the temple had been destroyed. So there's this older crowd that knew what Solomon's temple looked like in its glorious state. It was ginormous, it was beautiful. And now they're looking at the foundation and saying, yeah, that's not nearly as big. That's not nearly as cool. Man, I just remember the good old days and this is just, this is not the same. And they wept and they wept. And then you had a second crowd who's like, man, I've never seen Solomon's temple. Like this is the first temple I get to see, this is awesome. This is so cool. I'm gonna shout for joy because I've never known anything else. And God is doing something absolutely incredible. And maybe this is a moment that there is so much tension and, and maybe a moment that they didn't expect. 
And it's just interesting how at the end of Ezra says, man, you couldn't distinguish which was which because both, both crowds were being really loud. Shouts for joy and the sweeping. Uh, and so here's what I want to tell you this morning just in regards to that. I'm, I want to read it to you. We must be careful to live in the present and hope for the future as we respectfully honor the past. You see, because we can be consumed with what once was. And I think when we're consumed by that, it might hinder us moving forward. It might hinder us from moving in the direction that God has moved us to go. And so we wanna move forward as we respectfully honor the past, but we wanna say, Lord, I'm seeing exactly what you're doing right now. And I'm gonna praise you for that. Yeah, Lord, maybe it's not the same as it was before, but man, it's so incredible to see that you are still with us. You have not left us. So what's the application from this? How are we gonna end this sermon? Well, here's the application for us. We must praise God with returning. We must praise God with returning. If we, if we think about the story of Israel up to this point, the reason that they were captive in the first place is because they'd rebelled against God and then God restored them. He restored them. And so they're captive because they were rebelling, but they praised him by returning to him, by returning to him. God was saying, come to me, come to me. And it just reminds me of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I want you to write that down. Matthew 11, verse 28. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's his whole aspect of come to me, return to me. Because maybe you've been in this moment in the situation of rebelling against God. In this moment in this situation where you're like, Misael, I am in this deep, dark hole. There's no way that God can see me. There's no way that God can rescue me. There's no way that I can ever see the light. In a very loving way, can I tell you that you're wrong? <laughs> you're so wrong. It doesn't matter how dark of a hole you think you are in. It doesn't matter how deep of a hole you think you're in. God sees you. And God is saying, Jesus is saying, come to me. Are you tired? Come to me. Are you weary? Come to me. Are you desperate? Come to me. Man, are you confused? Come to me. Do you feel lonely? Come to me. Are you rebelling? Come to me. Do you feel like you're not loved? Come to me. You see, so many of us, we think we can't be forgiven. So many of us think that we just don't have hope. We don't have peace. We don't have love. But here's the reality, and I love the way my friend Shane Pruitt says it. Forgiveness has a name. Hope has a name. Peace has a name. Love has a name. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And you can come to him this morning and praising him in whatever situation you're in, saying, Lord, I depend on you and I need you. And so with that, I wanna pray for us and pray with you. So let's go ahead and bow our heads together.
I just want to give you a moment just to process what was said and how God is speaking to you. Because maybe, maybe this morning you're someone who is realizing the weight of your sin, realizing that you've disobeyed God, realizing that, that Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. Maybe you're realizing, man, I, today, this morning, I do believe that Jesus died to forgive me and to save me. That he did, he, he did after three days rise from the grave. And he had to do that because I'm sinful. And, and I'm so glad that he did that because now I can be transformed. Jesus can be my Lord and my Savior and he can make me new. And so maybe you're processing that this, this morning. And I, I just want to ask, if that's you, will you raise your hand? I'd love to just pray with you. If that's you this morning, it's like, man, you said, that's me. I'd love for you to just raise your hand. Amen. Maybe this morning you are, are someone who's wrestling with this and wrestling with what God is doing in your heart and your mind. You're saying, man, Misaela, uh, yeah, I've been rebelling. And, and so maybe right now in this moment, it's just a time to say, God, forgive me for I've been rebelling and I'm going to return. God, I am returning to you. Jesus, I am just being reminded of, of who you are and, and things you've done in my life, so I'm gonna return to you. And then maybe you're someone who just needed a little reminder that you can praise the Lord in the process. In whatever process that may be, whatever situation you may be in. And so if, if if you are one of these individuals, uh, I would just love to pray with you and for you. And so even with everybody's eyes bowed, uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, if you'll just raise your hand and say, Misa, will you pray for me? I kind of resonate with one of those people. Will you pray for me? Because that's me. Amen, I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you see us even in the deepest and darkest holes that we're in. Jesus, thank you so much that we can praise you in the process. Lord, because it's hard to trust you in the process. It's hard to praise you in the process, Lord. But I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, that you would continue to work in them and show them that you are worthy of praise no matter where they walk you are worthy of praise no matter what situation we're in. Lord, thank you that you encourage us and that you empower us and that you do provide all things. Lord, thank you for the breath in our lungs. In Jesus' name I pray.